Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to Matchmaker, Matchmaker by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading tonight is uh, Genesis 24, or part of Genesis 24. I know it says Genesis 24 in your bulletin, but there's 67 verses, and I'm not going to read all 67. I think I will read uh, verses 1 through 28, and then I will skip down to verse 61 and read verses 61 through 67. And that should be enough to give us a sense of the story. Before I do that, let me just say Genesis 24 uh, stands on its own as a story, like so many biblical stories. You can read it just by itself and be blessed by it. But the, the blessing is greater when you see it in context. And it's important to know that this story begins in mourning. It begins, picture it, at a funeral. And Abraham is there, and Isaac is there, and they have their arms around each other, and they're standing around an open grave, and the grave belongs to Sarah. They're saying goodbye to a wife and a mother, and they have tear-stained faces, and the mourners are coming by, shaking their hands and offering their condolences. She was a wonderful woman. We loved her. She was great. We're praying for you. And they're shaking all the hands, and they're saying all the things, and their hearts are just overwhelmed as they would be for any of us at a time like that. Together they walk away from the grave, and Abraham knows that his life isn't going to be long. He's a very old man at this point, and he's not going to live much longer, and he knows there's one thing left that he has to accomplish in this life. He has got to find a wife for Isaac. And so in chapter 24, he sends his servant Eliezer off to the land where he grew up to find a good wife for his son. And now we pick up the story. Abram was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living but will go to my country and to my own relatives to get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back to me with, uh, with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abram said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife from my son from there. If this woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him Ten of his master's camels and loading with all kinds of goods, things from his master. He set out from Aram Naharayim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneeled down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. And show kindness to my master Abraham. The word kindness there is sometimes translated steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word chesed, which is covenant love. 
show chesed to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar, and may I have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one that you have chosen for my servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness, chesed, to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with a jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar into her hands and gave him a drink. After she gave him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring wearing a, wearing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. And then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his chesed, his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives." The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. And then you basically have her going home and retelling the story, and Eliezer, the servant, comes and meets the family. She agrees to come home. And then at verse 61, where we'll pick up the story, the two, Isaac and Rebekah, meet. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Be'er Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all he had done, and Isaac brought her to the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the word of the Lord. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. That, that gives us sort of the full arc of the story, right? The story starts out in grief and mourning as a funeral, but it ends with with, with joy, with a wedding, with a, with a romantic happy ending. 
And just the way that the biblical author writes those last few verses, I try to convey that with the way I read it. It's almost like he, he didn't content to just say, and so Rebecca met Isaac and they got married and they lived happily. He wants to paint a picture for you. You know, Rebecca coming in on the camels and it's evening and sees a man coming towards her in the distance and through the shimmering heat of the desert. And when he re she realizes it's Isaac, she gets down and covers up her veil and they come towards each other and you can imagine them clasping hands and both of them smiling. And then of course, you can imagine the credits rolling. I mean, it has that kind of feeling, right? It has that kind of sense of, 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 a, of, a, of a happy ending, of a joyful ending. As I think about this story and what, what, what makes that movement, what finishes that arc, which moves the story from mourning to dancing, there are three powers in this story, three things, three powers that, that push this story along, that change what this story becomes about. The first power is the power of a strong woman. I love Rebecca in this story. She is a strong woman. She literally breaks the mold. And what do I mean by that? How does Re Rebecca break the mold in this story? And to see that, you have to understand that stories have a mold, right? Stories have certain forms that they come in. So for instance, if I were to start to say to you, uh, a minister, a rabbi, and a priest walked into a bar, you know exactly what kind of story this is going to be. This is going to be a joke, right? You're just used to the conventions. Well, in the ancient Near East, they had conventions for romantic stories. So if you heard a story about a boy and a girl and a well, you could be sure that this was some sort of romantic story and, and that it was probably going to end with a wedding. The great biblical scholar Robert Alter describes the typical features of an ancient Near Eastern romance. He said there'd be a man traveling to a foreign place, there'd be an encounter at a well with a beautiful woman, there would be the drawing of water, there would be hurrying off to tell the family about this dark and handsome stranger, and then there would be a marriage. And if you want another example, a biblical example of the convention, think of when Jacob goes to meet Rachel. Remember that it's also at a well and they run off and there's a marriage after that too. All these conventions are, are here, but in Genesis 24, there's something a little different that Rebecca does. The typical convention in the story is that the man is the one who draws the water. And again, think of Jacob. Remember, if you remember that story, he sort of performs this feat of manly strength and he lifts the stone cover off the well and then Rachel is able to draw the water. So Jacob is the one who does the, who does the drawing. But in this story, it's Rebecca. Rebecca is the one doing the strong thing. Rebecca's the one with the heavy jar on her shoulder. Rebecca's the one running back and forth and watering the camels. Rebecca breaks the mold. Her strength defies convention. She's in that strong position that the man is usually in. In this story, Rebecca joins a proud tradition of strong biblical women, women who look weak, but God uses for strong things. People like Sarah, her own mother-in-law, and Abigail, David's second wife, and Deborah, and Jael, and the Hebrew midwives, and Rizpah. If you don't remember her story, you need to read it this week. And Elizabeth, and Mary. 
All these strong women, and as we consider this faithful host of strong women, I think uh, what we can learn is that there's something in this story about how God uses power, how God channels power through his people. I read this week uh, a biblical uh, scholar named Francis Anderson said that the way that the Old Testament talks about power being used is completely different than the other religions of the same day. In the competing religions of those days, the gods, if you wanted to know to whom the gods spoke and who were closest to the gods, you went to the powerful. You went especially to the king. You expected the king to be the one closest to God because that's why he was king. He had the blessing of, of the god. And a biblical example of this, think of Naaman. Naaman the Syrian, right? He's the one who has leprosy, and he finds out that there's a prophet in Israel who can cure his leprosy. Who does he go to? Who does he think the prophet is? He thinks it's the king. And he sends a message to the king saying, hey, I hear you can cure my leprosy. And the king is like, I can't cure your leprosy. It turns out to be Elisha, this ordinary prophet. The way that God uses power, the people through whom God works in our scripture are totally different than the conventional ways we think of power. God uses fishermen and servant girls and 14-year-old virgins like Mary to accomplish his purposes. He is the God who, in the words of that same Mary, brings down the proud from their thrones and lifts up the humble. The second power that, that God uses to turn the morning into dancing in this story has to do with those thirsty camels that Rebecca waters. Some of you may know, and, I, and some of you may have actually been to a wedding where I did this. This is one of my favorite wedding texts. I sometimes do a wedding uh, based on Genesis 24. So forget about 1 Corinthians 13, Genesis 24, and the camels. Give me the camels. And what I love about this as a wedding text is that test that the servant gives to find out who the woman will be for his master. He says, I, I will ask for a drink of water, and the first servant girl comes along and, and gives me a drink, but then also offers to water my camels. Let her be the one for my master. This is not an arbitrary test. This is the perfect test to find a spouse. I know there aren't so many young people here tonight, but anyone here who is, you know, uh, thinking about marriage, or even if you have a grandchild who's thinking about marriage, I can think of no better advice than find a spouse who is willing to water your camels. And I think you know what I mean by that. What, what does Rebecca do? She, she doesn't just give this person what he asks for. He doesn't just give him what he deserves. He go, she goes the extra mile. She does more. That extra, that more, is grace. In your marriage, you want someone who doesn't just give you what you deserve or what you ask for, but someone who is considerate enough of you to water your camels as well. And boy, does Rebecca water the camels here. I tried to capture this in my reading, but did you notice how efficient she is? She does everything quickly. She runs. She quickly lowers her jar to give Eliezer a drink. She quickly empties her jug into the trough. She runs to get more water. She runs back home to tell her parents. She overflows with enthusiasm. She overflows with grace. And this isn't just good advice for marriage. This grace is the thing that makes all human relationships work. 
So in light of this story, my charge to you is somewhere this week, find someone and water their camels. Which brings us to the very last power in this story. And it is by far the strongest power of all. And that is the steadfast covenant love of God. Despite all the heavy lifting by Rebecca, despite the good work by the servant, despite whatever human things are done in this story, the power that is underneath and moving this story is the steadfast covenant love of God. Even though it's not very easy to see, God does not say anything in Genesis 24. He doesn't directly cause anything to happen. When Eliezer goes to the waters, to the, the edge of the well, there's, there's no fire from heaven, the skies don't open, there's no writing in the sky saying, choose Rebecca. If you were just sitting there watching the scene, you wouldn't have noticed anything supernatural happening, but believe me, the covenant love of God was moving things along. In verse 7, before the servant leaves, Sir Abram says, to, what, does the, what does Abram say to the servant? God will send his angel before you. It sort of gives you an intimation that, that God is going to do something. And then when Eliezer sits and he prays for the Lord to show him the right person, before his prayer is done, Rebecca shows up. No coincidence. You're meant to see that. And then finally, when she realizes that this girl, when, when, when Eliezer realizes that this girl is from Abraham's family, that she's a relative, he's a perfect person for Isaac, he breaks into song. And in verse 27, he has something like this praise chorus where he acknowledges God's leading this whole process. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. He has not forsaken his chesed, his kindness, and his faithfulness toward my master. The Lord has led me on the way to my master's family. The servant reaches one of those rare moments in life where God's presence and leading is absolutely clear to him. So verse 27 shows us the true dynamic of the story. We celebrated Rebecca's strength earlier, and indeed she's a strong woman, but that strength comes from the power of the Lord. We celebrated Rebecca's grace earlier in the sermon, and indeed she was graceful. That grace comes from the, the grace of our Lord, which was new to her every morning. The power that moves this story to a close, the power that moves it from mourning to dancing, is the power, the covenant love of our Lord. Now let me say one more thing. I wonder if all this seems too neat and tidy for some of you just a little too perfect. I wonder if some of you feel like the message of this story and this sermon is, don't worry, all your deep problems are going to have a happy ending and God will make that problem go away and everything will be fine. If you, haven't even, if you even have a whisper of this sort of feeling, let me stop you right there because this is not the end of the story of Rebecca and Isaac. This is a tremendously happy moment in their lives together. This may be the most happy, God-filled moment of their entire life, but it is not the end of the biblical story of Isaac and Rebekah. And in fact, their story ends in great difficulty. Rebekah and Isaac get married and they have two boys. How does that go? Not well. 
It's one dysfunctional family. In the womb, the boys are fighting, and they continue to fight. One boy is headstrong and chooses to marry the wrong women. The other boy is a trickster and a deceiver. And the deceptive one steals the birthright of the older one and causes such family strife that his brother wants to kill him. And his mother, in a heartbeat, has to send her favorite son, Jacob, packing and running. And does Rebecca ever see Jacob again? As far as Scripture tells us, the day she sends Jacob running from her home was the last day she ever saw him. We have no scriptural record of the two of them ever reuniting. So Rebecca is left at home with an aging, blind husband and an angry son. Not an easy ending. So however this story in Genesis 24 ends, the promise of this story is not that every problem that we have will go away and everything in our life will have a happy ending. The promise is, and this is the promise of covenant love, that no matter what we go through and no matter what trouble squeezes our life and no matter how the arc of our life goes, even if our life ends with a whimper instead of a bang, the grace and love and covenant presence of God will not let us go. It will be even in the very worst place of your life, and it will not let you go, and it will win in the end, even if your experience of this victory is not in this life. The ultimate sign of the covenant in our church is that cross, and that cross tells you so much of what you need to know. It's a device that shows that in this life you will have terrible, terrible suffering, but that the love of God is stronger than that suffering and in the end will triumph over it. That was the story of Abram and Sarah. It turns out to be the story of Isaac and Rebekah. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of David. It's the story of Paul. It's the story of Peter. And it's my story and your story too. Our endings may not always be happy, but they will be filled with joy. Thanks be to God. Lord God, we thank you um, for stories like this in the lives of people like Isaac and Rebecca, which show so clearly your presence in their lives. And we thank you, Lord, for all those moments in our own lives which have been joyful and which have been happy and have shown so clearly your presence in our lives. I pray that each and every one of us may look to those moments for the truth of your presence and the truth of your grace and the truth of your triumph and that that truth may carry us through the hard times. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.